What a blessing and privilege it is to be with you this morning. Forest Baptist Church, on behalf of the entire Forest Baptist Church family, I'd like to say welcome to all of our guests. Uh, May the Lord bless you in this new year. Uh, May his mercy and his countenance continue to shine upon you. Uh, For us, Forest, may the Lord continue to grow us, shape us, to mold us day by day to look more like Jesus. So when we look in the mirror, we don't see ourselves. We don't see what we used to be. But we begin to see what God wants us to be. We may may live in the same house. We may have the same address. We may have the same wardrobe. But when we look in the mirror, we should begin to see Christ on display more and more each and every day. He is faithful. He's good. Worthy and deserving of all glory, all honor. It's worthy of our praise. Glory be to God. Glory be to God. Amen. Well, upon this new year, as we embark upon 2017, we have much to be thankful for. We're thankful that the Lord even has allowed us to see 2017. Many are not here. So that means that the Lord has something left for us to do. If you're here, you're not just here to exist and to take up space. If you're still here, that means God, the Alpha and the Omega, still has something for you to do. A unique plan. Now, only you can carry out, according to his grace and the power of the Holy Spirit. So we are grateful to be here today. And also, as a church, we embark on a celebration of sorts. As we celebrate our sesquicentennial 150 years of God's faithfulness towards little on us, who are we? As the psalmist says, what is man? That you are mindful of him. Who are we to be worthy of being here 150 years? To God be the glory for the great things that he has done. Amen? Amen. Well, if you would, this morning, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians, the third chapter. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 21. Again, Happy New Year. May the Lord's blessing be upon us. Philippians, the third chapter, beginning with verse 1. May we all stand for the, in honor of reading God's word. This is the word of God. Hear the voice of Christ. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God. And glory in Christ Jesus. And put no confidence in the flesh 
though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under, under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, And straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. Beginning this new year, I'd like to tag this text before us, more of the king in 2017. More of the king in 2017. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your mercy, for your grace, for your protection and your provision, for bringing us into a new year. But Lord, right now, we need you. We need your Holy Spirit to manifest himself in this place setting our eyes and our hearts upon Jesus, that we would cast our cares upon you. Father, I ask that you would revive and wake dead hearts, dull spirits. May you excite us because you have chosen us to accomplish your purposes and your plan in your creation for your kingdom glory. Father, as we open up your word this morning, we ask that you would feed us this morning. Teach us, O God. Give us new eyes to see and ears to hear. Give us fresh hearts that as the word goes forth, seeds will be planted and bear much fruit. Father, have mercy on us. Create within our hearts a new spirit. Have mercy upon us by exposing your glory to us. So, Father, we ask these things in the matchless and mighty name of Jesus. And we pray that you will be glorified in this place. For your glory and name's sake, we do pray. Amen. 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 There's a story of two men, two young men, riding on the bus together, having a conversation. And in this conversation, they're, they're trying to figure out life late teenagers heading off to college, 
they begin to have a conversation and, and they begin to talk about what they're going to do. One young man says, well, I'm going to go to the university and I, I'm going to take up biology and try to do my best to be on the dean's list and to achieve much. And then the other young man says, okay, that sounds great. And then what? He says, well, I, after I graduate, I'll probably try to get an internship, a job somewhere to, to, to land a nice salary to pay back some of these school loans that I'm going to have, but I want to try to get a good job. Then the young man he's talking with, he says to him, and then what? He says, well, maybe after I get a good job, maybe I'll buy a house and settle down for a little bit and, and try to uh, build my 401k and my bank account to make sure I'm ready for a family. The other young man says to him, well, and then what? He says, well, I guess I might get married and try to uh, have a family of my very own and raise them the best I can. Then the young man says, and then what? Well, I guess I try to send my children off to college, too, and afford them the same opportunities that I had. And and maybe my, my wife and I, maybe we'll travel since we won't have any children in the house at that point in life. The young man says, sounds great, and then what? Well, I guess... I just keep on working and and try to retire, try to be faithful, put in my time, and finish up my employment well. The young man he's speaking with says, that's a great plan. And then what? And he says, well, I I haven't really thought that far. Well, I guess at the end of everything, I, I guess I'll die. At that, the young man he was talking to says, and then what? As we approach this new year, we are in such a situation where we must answer the question, and then what? And then what? On the, on the, uh, the precipice of this entire year, we are entering in with new hopes and new excitement. But as you are planning to, as we have all been planning to get to 2017, it's here now. And then what? Well, what are we going to do now that the new year has arrived? Have you set any goals for yourself? Some of us here, we may have some financial goals. We, we want to save up a certain amount of money. We want to put some money away. We want to save up for a vacation. Maybe our, 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 uh, we want a new home. Our family is expanding, but we have some particular financial goals. Maybe your financial goal is to try to get out of debt from uh, December and January because you know you spent too much money. But whatever your financial goals are, we have them. For some, there will be Self-improvement goals. You want to work on this and tighten that and fix this and lose that. You get a membership to a gym and you begin reading different blogs to try to figure out the best way to work out to tone up the area that you need to work on. Or maybe you want to read a certain number of books or you want to finish this class, but there's certain self-improvement goals that you may have this morning as you look into the new year. Or maybe for others, there's relational goals. Maybe you, you this, is, this is the year where you get your boo. You find that boyfriend, that girlfriend, that whatever, but this is your year. Maybe it is. And on a sad note, if this is your year for that, make sure you have a DTR. What is a DTR? You define the relationship. Because ain't no, ain't no purpose of you wasting your time, them wasting their time. Y'all don't even know what y'all doing. Y'all just going out. Define the relationship. That's, that's another sermon for another day. <laughs> but let me ask you honestly. When you were thinking about 2017, 
Had you thought about setting some spiritual goals? Had you thought about where God wants to take you this year? Have you considered what it will take for you to grow to be more like Jesus? Have you considered your various giftings that God has given you for the purpose of equipping the body and, and, and have strived to try to figure out where does God want me to fit in for his kingdom purposes? What are your spiritual goals for this year? But most haven't. So for our time together, let's just talk about one. And that is more of the king in 2017. Of all that you can set out to do in the year 2017, pursuing Jesus is the greatest goal in life. It doesn't matter what year it is, pursuing Jesus is always in style. You don't have to worry about putting it in a closet or getting a new pair. Pursuing Jesus will always be relevant for the followers of Jesus Christ. This morning we read Psalm 90, right? And if Psalm 90 is true, and we should number our days, then what really matters most? Is is that new house what matters most? Is that new job? Is that new car? Is is all the, the extras, does that really matter most when we know that all this will fade away, but we are stepping into eternity? Don't you realize, do you understand that stepping into January 1st, 2007, you are one day closer to death. You are either one day closer to death or, praise God, one day closer to Jesus returns. And we're taking these steps in arbitrary ways, wasting time because we have no goals set when it comes to our spiritual life. So I submit to you this morning Because your relationship with Jesus matters most of all, you should continually pursue deeper intimacy with Christ. So my prayer for you in 2017 is that you would know Christ better. See his glory more clearly. And serve him more faithfully. From the text this morning, I I believe that Paul lays out for us how to pursue the goal of having more of the king. In the text, we see that Paul's desire for Jesus does not end in salvation. You, You get what I'm saying? Paul's goal wasn't just to be saved. We sing that song, oh, what it would be like to be in that number if if your spiritual goals is just to be in the number, then you're, you're, you're missing the rest of the Bible because he says, once you're in that number, I got a job for you to do. Once you're in that number, I'm going to grow you. I'm going to mold you. I'm going to shape you. I'm going to make you. See, coming to Christ is just the beginning of the journey. It's not the end. But we treat salvation as, well, I got my ticket and I'm going to heaven and that's all I need. That's a terrible perspective to have on salvation. Salvation is just the door that opens up to a whole new world. Life truly begins at salvation. And what Paul is speaking of here, he has a a deep hunger and a thirst. This is that Psalm 42 
trying to thirst as a deer pants for streams of water. This is that Psalm 63 type thirst for Christ. See, Paul doesn't just want to get to heaven. He wants to be made whole by Christ. He wants to be made whole. So to simplify our spiritual goal setting, I've taken King and and made it an acrostic that that we'll walk through together. So in your programs and your bulletins, there there is some uh, area for notes. And what I want us to do is is to take King Jesus, and we're going to break this down in in setting some spiritual goals for 2017. We'll break this into two parts. We'll deal with the first part today. Next week, we'll finish up. After that, we'll return back to Galatians. We'll be looking, we'll be finishing up on our sermon on racism But for the purposes of this week, let me lay out for you all four points. The first thing we want to do in setting and having more of of the king in 2017 is to keep your eyes fixed upon the supreme work of Jesus. Keep your eyes fixed upon the supreme work of Jesus. Secondly, we want to identify threats to your pursuit of Jesus. Identify threats to your pursuit of Jesus. Thirdly, in narrow your focus to be a faithful follower of Jesus. Narrow your focus to be a faithful follower of Jesus. And then lastly, G, is simply get moving. Get moving. We'll probably just look at K this morning. So, K, keep your eyes fixed on the supreme worth of Jesus. Verse 7, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Now, your neighbor may need some help this morning. They may have been up a little late. You may have to knead them, kick them, shake them. But help them out this morning because in this text, we, we, I'm looking at Paul, and as I read this, this is a man on fire. And the only words that I was able to come up with to describe Paul's demeanor is he is a man who is overwhelmed. He's just overwhelmed. And it's not overwhelmed like we think of it. Because we think of, I'm overwhelmed as I can't handle it. I can't take it. It's too much for me. 
It's a burden. This is hard for me. But no, that's not Paul's perspective. He's, he's overwhelmed by Jesus and his grace. He's overwhelmed by grace. How is it that a broken, selfish sinner like myself could receive the glorious value and supreme riches of Jesus? He's overwhelmed. This is Paul, the, the, the Pharisee, who were killing Christians. He was persecuting Christians. And, and he's overwhelmed. He, how can Christ take a murderer and make him a tool of the kingdom of God? He's considering who he is and he's considering what he's done. And he's overwhelmed because he knows the, the vast chasm between him and Christ. How is it that Jesus is so good to me? And what he does is he begins to contrast his former life with what he has now in Jesus. See, Paul was a, he was the who's who in his day. He'll be on a, a American Idol. He'll be on all the, the top shows and you'll, you'll be following his Twitter thread, his blog, trying to figure out what's going on with him. Paul was the man in his day. He was brilliant, very knowledgeable, well-spoken. He had access to all the, the privileged parties, all the secret circles. He was a VIP. He had fame. He had fortune. But what does he say? I count it all as loss. All of that doesn't matter. The pursuits of man doesn't matter. My success doesn't matter. Me trying to be on top, none of that matters anymore. I count it as loss. And he goes one better. He says, I count it as loss, but I count them as rubbish. Why is that important? Because you know how we do. The Lord takes up somewhere. We have a testimony. We begin to testify. Oh, yeah, I gave it up. But deep down, we really don't miss it. We gave it up, but we really want to go back. Like, if, if given the right opportunity and the right people weren't around and you knew you weren't going to get caught, if nobody from church was going to walk in, if wasn't nobody going to check your browser history, if you knew that you would never get caught, some of us, many of us, will run back to the same old sin. Because we may, we may count it as loss, but we don't count it as rubbish. To count it as rubbish is to have the perspective that God has about sin, that he hates sin, he despises sin, and we must ask God, God, not only take it away from me, but take the taste out of my mouth too. Give me a perspective that I will see things from your point of view and not man's point of view. We like to point out, we like to point out one another. When it comes to our holiness, we don't point to Christ, we point to one another. Well, look at them. Like, well, I saw them, and they doing this, and they doing that. And, and, and like, I, like our, our holiness is horizontal. Our holiness is vertical. It's between us and Christ. So when we compare ourselves to one another, everything looks good. You, 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 got, you got the nice bling on. You clean up really good on the outside, 
But Jesus Christ is not concerned with the outside. He looks on the inside. So he knows what's really going on. You can't fool him. Paul, he has no regrets. But why? Why would Paul give up everything? Why why would he give up the notoriety? Why would he give up the fame? Why would he give up all the fortune? Why Why would he give up the fact that everybody knew his name? That's what we want. We want everybody to know our name. We, we, we want to take the next video and have it go viral. We want to show up on Good Morning America and tell about how, how, how cute our kids are opening up presents. We want people to know us. But Paul says, they knew me already, but I counted as loss. And he counts it as loss because he understands the supreme worth of Jesus. Simple as that. He says, in verse 8, he counted us loss, he counts it as rubbish. Why? In order that I may gain Christ. He knows that there's an exchange that needs to take place. In coming to Christ, there's some things he would need to give up. There's some things he would need to let go. But, but, and, and letting them go, he didn't, you didn't have to tear it from his fingers. You didn't have to pry his hands open. He says, just take it. You can have it. Because what I found is better than that anyway. You think that's sweet? Let me show you who's sweet. And he, he was hung on a cross. He was, uh, he was raised high and stretched wide. Don't you know how valuable the blood of Jesus is? I can let this stuff go because Christ is better. You look at my resume, you think I'm sweet? Don't you know Jesus' resume? Don't you know he's the beginning from the end? Don't you already know he's the image of the invisible God? Don't you know that Jesus, yeah, that Jesus, the firstborn of all of creation, that's at the top of his resume. Jesus, by him all things were created, that were created, that Jesus, this Jesus, he's the, the head of the body, the church. That Jesus, this Jesus, the, the firstborn from the dead, that Jesus, the, this Jesus that in him we live and move and have our being. Or, or you could say it another way, from him and through him and to him are all things. That Jesus, this Jesus, that's the radiance of the glory of God. Just that Jesus, this Jesus, that he upholds the universe by the word of his power. That Jesus. Don't nobody's resume get higher than that. You trying to submit your resume, he says, don't you know I made the paper that your resume is printed upon? Who are you? I'm everything. I'm all things. Paul understands the supreme worth of Jesus. But in the text, he doesn't just understand who Jesus is. He has a a keen understanding of what Jesus has already accomplished for him. In verse 9, he talks about, and and be found in him, 
not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. What is Paul talking about there? He's saying that when I see Jesus, I see justification. That, that by faith alone, by grace alone, and Christ alone, that my sin has been pardoned. I have been declared righteous, not because of me or what I have done, but because of what Christ has already accomplished. I am justified. That's my Jesus. He's justification. Verse 10, he moves on and he says that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death. He says, when I look at Jesus, I see sanctification because as, a, as the sufferings of life hit me, I, I am dying on the inside to myself. Don't you know that's what sanctification is? In sanctification, somebody got to die. You're dying to yourself in order that Christ may live through you. That's sanctification. So, so he, he is becoming like Christ in his death. So when I see Jesus, I see justification. I see sanctification. But now, in verse 11, he is going on a theological treatise. This is sweet because in verse 11, he says that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Don't you know what he's talking about? He says, when I look at Jesus, I see glorification. He says, when I look at Jesus, I see justification. When I see Jesus, I see sanctification. And when I look at Jesus, I see glorification. What's glorification? That's the day when, when, when Christ comes, and he comes to get his people, and he says, get on up. It's time to get up. I've come back for my people. Won't you come up out the grave? And when you come out the grave, you're going to have a, a new walk. You're going to have a new talk. You're not going to have that, that sagging old body. You're going to have that glorified body, that sinless body, that, that body that Christ put on display on the mountain. Glorification. Paul is saying, he's saying, Jesus it's worth more than everything because he completes all of life. He's my justification. He, he, he got the charges dismissed. You was guilty. And he showed up in the courtroom and told the judge, case dismissed. He says, sanctification. He says, you didn't love me. You didn't want me. You still don't. But I'm going to work in you and I'm going to do some things in your heart, and I'm going to change you from the inside out and make you even want me, because you don't. Then he says glorification. He says, I'm going to make you whole. I'm going to make you whole. Jesus. All of that. In Christ. See, knowing Jesus is far better than anything else. Christ exceeds any and everything. He crushes all other expectations. See, Jesus was supreme to Paul. But who is Jesus to you today? See, our problem is that we're not overwhelmed by Christ. We're underwhelmed by Christ. 
We don't get it. We don't understand the depths at which God has gone to save us. Condescending, setting aside his glory that had been with him since time had began. Before time was, his glory was already shining. And and in his infinite love for us, he decided to set that aside to come as a human. We're underwhelmed by Jesus. We see Jesus as a ticket and not a person. We see Jesus as a means to the end that we just want to go to heaven, but we don't see him as a life to be lived. In him we live and move and have our being. He is sustaining all things. This Christ. We could tell how underwhelmed we are simply from this question. What impact does Jesus have on your life right now? So what do I mean? Because Jesus is your Savior, how has that actually impacted your life? How has that changed your thinking? How has that mattered in your choices? Have you even considered Christ when you're getting ready to sign those mortgage papers? Are you taking on a note that's too much, that's going to be a burden and not allow you to be charitable with what God has given to you? Do you even consider what, who Christ is in the, in the school that you're choosing to go to? You just want to go to, to get this degree to make money, and God wants you to do something with your life for his glory. How does Jesus impact your day-to-day decisions? That's, that's how we know that Jesus is supreme and valuable in our lives. We base our choices on what we believe is most valuable. That's how we decide. We look at a situation and say, okay, well, what do I really want? What do I really want most? See, but That's the issue. That's Christianity right here. This is the crux. John 3.36 says, Whoever believes in the Son shall have eternal life. In the second half of that, it says, Whoever obeys, whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, and the wrath of God remains on him. So Jesus himself is arguing That to believe in Jesus is to obey Jesus. Belief obeys. Belief does something. This is not a, a, well, I believe in God. Well, well, great. The demons believe too and shudder. Like, belief in God doesn't save you. But Jesus impacting your heart, your mind, and your soul where he invades and he takes over. He moves you out of the throne of your own heart and he takes his rightful position on the throne of your heart and he begins to to move you and to shape you according to his will. That's the Christian life. See, but this is the issue. We're afraid to let go. 
We're trying to put Jesus on the scales of our life. We're trying to put our life and our job and our family on one side, and we put Jesus on this side, and we actually think that these things can outweigh Jesus. So we're fearful about making the wrong choice. Let me just help you not be scared anymore. Jesus is better. Jesus is better than your job. Jesus is better than your husband, your wife, your son, your daughter, your grandma, your cousin. The school you go to, Jesus is better. Jesus is better than this church. He said, I will build a church. He's the church. He's better than everyone in here. So when it comes to a decision of trying to figure out who's better, Jesus or this, it's always Jesus. You can't hold on to Jesus when your hands are still full. If you have this life in a bear hole, if you have this life holding on to a closed hand, you can't hold on to Jesus at the same time. We can't do both. I can't hold on to Jesus if my, if my fists are balled up because I already, it's already full of this life. Beloved, understand, everything in this text that Paul counts as loss is human stuff. Everything he talks about gain is divine stuff. So when we open up our hands, we're not losing in this life, but we're gaining Christ. When we open up our hands, we're not losing our friends, but we're gaining a Savior. Where I'm not losing myself, but I'm being transformed by the goodness and the glory of Christ. I let go in order to receive it. That's the great exchange, right? I let go of my sin. That it may be hung on the cross with him, placed into the grave, that I will see it no more. That I may have Christ. All these bowl games, commercials after commercial after commercial, that, that Capital One, it, it's, just, it's just stuck in my head. What's in your wallet? It's like, it's like catchy. It's like right there. What's in your wallet? You know, beloved, it doesn't matter what's in your wallet. It matters who's in your heart. J.I. Packer has the quote. I quote it off. And he says, the one who has Christ as his treasure has all things in one. If Jesus is genuinely your treasure, you got everything. Everything. We trying to hold on to stuff. Don't you know that when we hold on to Jesus, he's the creator of the stuff? Like when we hold on to Jesus, like you trying to hustle to, 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 to come up and make money. Don't you know that Jesus owns all the, the cash flow of all of creation. We're trying to make sure that we got a house to live in. Don't you know that God, he, he owns every, every, every tree, every board that your house was made of? See, we, we have to, we're, we're settling. We're in a bad relationship with the world and we're settling. We're afraid that we can't get anyone else. But Jesus says, I will not leave you nor forsake you. Now come and get something better. Are you really satisfied with the world? 
Are you really satisfied with the effects? Are you really satisfied getting drunk? Are you really satisfied being high? Are you really satisfied in your adulterous relationships? Are you really satisfied? Jesus says, no, you're settling for something less, but I came to give you more. I have come that they will have life and that more abundantly. Christian, stop settling for less. God didn't create you for less. He created you for more. That's why he gives us himself, because he is so vast. You can't consume him. He's all glorious. We will spend eternity praising his name because he never runs out. Stop settling for less than life. When Jesus came to give you a greater than life. This is why Paul can say to live, to live is Christ. To live is Christ. But to die is gain. Hey, it doesn't matter. Yeah, you can kill me or I can live. As long as I got Christ, I'm good. I, you can put me in a prison or you can put me in a penthouse. It doesn't matter. As long as I got Christ. That has to be our perspective. The supreme worth, the surpassing worth of Jesus. We don't have to settle. What, compared to Christ, what does the world really have to offer? We're breaking our neck for minutes. Minutes of pleasure. Minutes of passion. Minutes of highs. Don't you know? Those in Christ, we don't have to settle for minutes. He's given us eternity. Eternity? See, we, we think heaven is a place that we're going to be bored just singing choir songs all day. Don't you know that anything you believe about heaven, that, oh, it's more, it's better? Uh, you, you, you thought that Christmas dinner was good? Don't you know when you get to glory and we're dining with King Jesus that he's going to throw something on that table? You're going to be like, oh, man, what is that? Give me some more. You, you think that this world really has something to offer us when God is giving us an eternity to splend with him in splendor and glory? This is nothing. This is nothing. We don't serve a less than God. We serve a more than Savior. Don't you know his blood accomplished more than all the sins that you can rack up? Come on now. I wish somebody knew. Don't you know his blood was enough to atone for all y'all sin and all my sin put together beforehand? He's a more than Savior. If you want more of the king in 2017, you must see there's only gain in Jesus. There's only gain. There's no loss. There's only gain. There's only blessing. There's only paradise. Isn't that what Jesus said to the thief on the cross? He didn't say, today you will be with me chilling by the beach of Miami. He, he didn't say, today you'll be with me 
uh, in, in the mansion on Trump, Trump Tower. He, he didn't say, you'll be with me uh, reigning and ruling over America. He said, no, you will be with me in paradise. Paradise. That, see, that's, that's not a vacation you can save up for, because only the blood of Jesus can pay for paradise, and he has saved us to take us there. We don't serve a less than Savior. He's more than, and he deserves all glory. And he deserves your attention. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace and for your infinite mercy that you are not a less than Savior. So, Father, I ask that you would help us see you, see your supreme value, that we would see your supreme worth, that we would keep our eyes fixed on you in 2017. Father, forgive us for being underwhelmed with that that is overwhelming. Please remove the stain of sin that we will begin to see you clearly in 2017. Father, thank you for your privilege of being called yours. Thank you for the privilege that comes through salvation. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.